Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. This is Rachel Perkins filling in for Nat Hurst to break down the first two stages of the tour de ski in Lenzerheide. Before we jump in, this episode is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup. To all master skiers out there, the Rocky Mountains of Canada and the Masters World Cup 2022 are calling. This coming March, master skiers from around the world will come together in Canmore, Alberta to celebrate a shared passion for cross-country skiing. This event will be a great opportunity to race in Canmore at the world-renowned Canmore Nordic Center Provincial Park. Go to mwc2022.com for details. There you can find COVID plan information and airline and rental car promotions. If you register before tomorrow, December 31st, you'll also get a free pair of commemorative socks. Yeah, how are you guys? We're good. We're all uh, we're surviving. Trying. You have. You said you have a three-year-old. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got uh, almost five and almost two. So we're just trying to survive Christmas here. Like, yep. well, Christmas <laughs> is over. We're just trying to survive the holidays. Yeah. But it's all good. Yeah. Um. What's uh What's Christmas in your house look like, or Christmas in in Norway? I mean, it's it's a lot like it's a lot like North America. The thing like a big change for me was like at home in North America where I grew up. It's like you open your stockings on the 25th in the morning and like presents you open on the 25th. Like the 25th is like the big day, like yep. Christmas day. Whereas in Europe, it's all about Christmas Eve. Huh. So yeah, so like all the presents get open after dinner on Christmas Eve. And then here's a weird one. The kids meet Santa in Norway. <laughs> so like Santa like knocks on the door and has like a bag with like one present oh, no way. Kid in the house. And it's like, it's like someone dressed or like Santa's real, obviously. So Santa obviously knocks on the door <laughs> and, and like the kids meet Santa and then they give them like Santa gives them one present and then they talk with them. And like, so that, that was kind of like a trip for me. Cause you know, I thought like Santa the night of the 24th or like in the middle of the night comes down the chimney, you know, puts the stock, like, does the stalking yeah. thing but no not in not in norway my i think that would terrify my daughter she's pretty anti <laughs> anti santa she's, she's like anti -Santa. Can, yeah she's like can he just send the present like she didn't want him to yeah didn't want to hear anything about like somebody coming into our house and, like which is <laughs> a little fair. creepy you know? it's like yeah, that is true like if yeah. you think about it, it's like how does this make sense that like a jolly huge guy in a red suit somehow gets into my house yeah. i know he's and then he's going to eat my cookies that my mom or dad made him drink my milk and then like leave presents and then get out somehow without me knowing. I, I get that. It's weird. I get that. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, um, but not scary. Well, scary yeah. was the weather yesterday. Oh my yeah. God. That was, uh, that was raunchy before we get all into that, but like, we're going to just break down Linsahida and some great races. I mean, we can start with the sprint when the sun was shining and the conditions were, were perfect and it made for some pretty exciting stuff. Um, especially on the women's side, if you're a North American or an American ski fan. Um, I thought that was just, that was an amazing day for the U S yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and some fun racing from the men too. Like, like, um, on the U S men, of course they had solid qualifiers and got guys into the heats, but, but also at the front end of the race, I mean, and just some of these guys are just at such a high, high level. And especially like Juve and Claybo are like, they're skiing really, really well, making smart decisions. And now it was a great sprint day. And then, and then yesterday's classic race was a freaking war. I, I just yeah. was watching that going like, I'm so glad I'm done. And I love classic and I don't mind skiing in like tough conditions and stuff, or I didn't, but like, I'm not going to lie watching that thing. I'm like, Oh God, I'm, yeah. that's okay to be exhausted for other reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Um, taking a little step back, I wanted to ask what your thoughts are and just kind of the field strength at the tour this year. Cause I think, um, you know, given the proximity to the Olympics, I think I actually expected more athletes to be sitting out the tour, but in that, you know, sprint semifinal for the men and, and for the women, but that was, you know, you don't have Dahlquist for the women, but, um, overall yeah. it's like, those are pretty stacked semifinals and finals. Like that's probably not no, for too sure. different than an Olympic final. Um, so what are your thoughts on that in terms of yeah. people that chose to race or chose to sit it out? No question. Usually on both sides of the coin, you see a lot of people missing. Yeah. You see, you see people missing, especially in a championship year. I would say, oof, I'm going to get some slack for this, but like the women's sprint final was weaker than it should have been because the Swedish women's team is just so good. And yeah, Hogstedham was there and she didn't even make the final. So there you go. 
Um, but, you know, Dahlquist and Sundling, they went 1-2 at the World Championships last year. Dahlquist hasn't lost a sprint this year. Sundling missed most of the season due to an injury, came back in Dresden and came second. So, I mean, they're an insanely high level. And then Therese is missing, of course. Like, it was over the overall, Therese is sitting out the tour. Rosie Brennan sitting out the tour, too. I mean, I just couldn't help but think about Rosie in that sprint in Linsaheida, seeing, like, I mean, not, we'll get into that, but I mean, geez, that, that was a sprint made in heaven for, for Rosie who performs so well at altitude, but she's decided to, to really prepare for these Olympics and, and give, give it all in. So on the women's side, while there's a lot of big names and there's still a lot of big names and some big names that aren't performing, we'll get into that. Um, I think it's thinner than the men. And then on the men's side of things on the sprint side. Yeah. I mean, geez, like there's no one missing. There's yeah. no one missing in the men's side. Like all those guys, well, I guess, Holver Tugbo's missing, um, who is definitely, if he's not in the final of the Olympics, I'll be shocked for Norway. And aside from that, I mean, Ustigov's not there. Right. So right. those two guys, those two guys are big names that aren't, aren't there for the sprint, let's say, but everyone else, I mean, it, it's, you know, the, <laughs> it's the big, it's the big boys out there to play. So, which makes it exciting. Although you're going to see a lot of guys dropping out. A lot of people have already dropped out. Um, and that's the challenge with this tour to ski format. I, I love the tour to ski format. I think it's awesome event. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm glad Fisk put this in. They've really defanged it over the years. Like it's nothing compared to what it was when it started spoken like a real old man, like back <laughs> in the days we had to drive seven hours through snowstorms, but it's true. We did. And, um, and now it's really just like it, the tour to ski actually isn't that hard when it's six races, three venues and the longest race is 15 K it, it's, it, it, I mean, it's hard, of course, but it's not uh, it, when people talk it up like it's this huge undertaking and can destroy seasons and stuff. It's just not that anymore. Yeah. Um, Think about the, the sprint course and kind of positioning. I was I talked with Matt Whitcomb after the race and he was kind of talking about just like and, and you can really see it like in um, that kind of long downhill into the hard left hand turn and um, just like how important the positioning is coming into that. And I think like we were seeing, like, I think about like, um, Bolshnov getting knocked out in the quarter, like he was, he didn't skate into it the same way as some of the other guys did. And it really seemed like that was like a, just kind of a critical spot and a critical like approach. Um, do you have thoughts on that course and just like yeah. the, the handling and what you were seeing through that? Yeah. I mean, I've raced in Lindsay a number of times as well. And it, I mean, I've got my like I've I've been Emil Everson in that thing a while like which is not qualifying but uh <laughs> but I've also had some okay races in the inside of two and but I mean the the reality is like it's a two-lap course it's at middle altitude although most of the people most of the contenders at least were spending time at high altitude for or high not high altitude but most a lot of contenders were spending spending their Christmas around middle altitude so 1500 meters and up uh because the Olympics are at altitude so they were prepared for Linz Haida. And that's what you can see sometimes is like people just kind of exploding on that second lap on that. There's like, it's, it's, it's a really interesting course in the sense it's like two laps and it's a really gradual, like false flat climbing. And then one little kicker to get to the top of the course. And then, like you said, it, you, it pitches down fairly quickly. And then it's really long, gradual downhill that if you don't take your speed into that downhill, like you said, like you're done. And that taking your speed can be like two more pole plants than right. your competition and, or free skating, if you get yourself into a bad position and, and uh, then you turn around, you do that loop again. And on that second lap, you saw a lot of athletes. I mean, it bites on that second lap, middle altitude, like I said, so you, you know, you're sucking air a little bit harder than you normally would at sea level. And then, and then, yeah, if you're making bad tactical decisions or you're just falling asleep a bit, it's a course that you can fall asleep at, fall asleep on. I guess that's, that's what I'm, that's what we saw. That's a, like, it didn't really happen to Bolshan off, but it looked he made a, he made a small, small mistake there by not taking enough speed into it. And he got swallowed up. Whereas, yeah. whereas like totally perfect. And I never would have called her to do that and, and make it stick. But Diggins was just so much stronger than everyone else all day that when she was leading going like that whole second lap, the whole, like she looked at and stuff, but still like, leading into that second lap and then over leading into that downhill. I'm like, okay, she's the best descender in the final. No question. 
but man, are you really that confident that you're going to lead from the top of that course and, and win? And she almost didn't, but uh, <laughs> she had enough to hold on and what, a, what an amazing victory. So I thought that was kind of interesting to you. You saw different, you saw different strategies from different athletes. You saw Diggins that decided to just like take it from the front. And then you saw Klebo that was hanging back, especially on the first lap playing attack. Although Klebo could have done anything on the sprint day. He was head and shoulders above anyone else. Um, but then he was definitely doing two huge, two, three huge, um, one skates over the top of that hill and carrying just so much more speed. And, you know, people are texting and friends of mine's like, Oh, Claybo's skis were just crazy. They were so much better than anyone else's. It's not even fair. And yeah. His skis were really good, but it, that's not what won him the race. It's the, he was skiing it better. He was carrying more speed into the downhill. He was positioned himself properly. Um, you know, anyone that wants to see a model for sprint racing can, can check out that race. And I mean, it doesn't get any better technically, tactically everything. Yeah. And, um, thinking about Bolshnov, cause I, I think in the, the last episode that you did with Nat, you were kind of talking about just like his decision to race the tour or whether or not that was kind of a, a good idea, considering the start to the season that he's had and, and what might be going on there. But, um, in watching that, like he got knocked out, but it sort of seemed like it wasn't necessarily like indicative of his fitness, which I think we saw him rebound the next day. And it, like, he, it no. was like going into that corner, which it seems like you just need to get, like, you need to be in a good position getting through that corner. And he totally. wasn't like, he, he, like you had like the two Norwegians on the inside. And I think Goldberg kind of like put his arm out, like, give me yeah. some space. Like we need to get around this corner. And uh, yeah. So that, I think that was interesting too, that it's like easy, you know, like in thinking about him coming into this tour and looking to be a contender in like win a third straight tour, potentially it's like, he's not necessarily out of it. And I don't think that first stage uh, is particularly indicative of what he'll be able to do the rest of the tour. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I was curious. I, I, I guess I was never, question or maybe i did because we have it on tape or whatever but like <laughs> if i questioned that he was coming to the tour that's something i probably wouldn't have questioned as much but i really questioned his decision to go to dresden that's for sure although that said like you said he made a tactical mistake for sure um getting himself like putting himself in a tough position on that corner like you said in his quarterfinal but the guy did qualify 11th in a short sprint so that is a huge step up from what we've seen from bolshenov earlier this year and then of course like it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback. I mean, yeah. like how he skied the 15 K classic yesterday was just absolutely beautifully executed and he was paid for it. it you know, he, he got paid for such a beautiful race and ended up second on the day. And I mean, favorite for the tour. I mean, he's the, he's the odds on favorite for the, for the tour to ski. I know Kalebo is, has a huge lead because of his minute bonus and he skied a great 15 K classic as well to finish fourth yesterday. But I mean, Bolshunov is just such a beast up the hill. He's a beast in Val de Fiem. He's, um, you know, like he's, he's the odds on favorite to take the overall again. No question. Well, not odds on, but it's going to be a nice battle. But if they, if there's any, if it's close whatsoever on going up the last hill, I mean, like Klebo versus Bolshunov going up the last climb. I mean, everyone knows that Bolshunov will be able yeah. to undress uh, Klebo if he's close enough. Um maybe sticking with the men a little bit longer that I, what are your thoughts on, on Pellegrino the last couple of weekends? Um, you know, he, I, he's another one who I feel like maybe not the season starter that he was looking for. Um, especially has been kind of skate heavy or skate sprint heavy at the beginning of the season. And, um, he's back in the final for the second weekend in a row. I got, yeah, I think his first podium last weekend in Dresden. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So thoughts on, just him this season in terms of he hasn't really otherwise been up there, but yeah, no, it was a big change for, for Pellegrino and uh, the Fabiani and a couple other Italians to work with, with Kramer's group, Kramer's Russian group. Um, so they've been training. I mean, they're pretty much on they're, they They race for different countries, but they're on the same team. Uh, and it seems to have cost uh, Pellegrino that said, if this is what he thinks he needs, because he's, you know, he's over 30 now he's 31 years old. Um, he has a great record at championships. He's a world champion. He's an Olympic medalist. Uh, it's a skate sprint at altitude. You know, he's from Iosta Valley, which is middle altitude. So it's plays into his, into his uh, time. Um, but 
it looks like he's really pushed the envelope with his training and he's just been tired or something. Cause I agree. He hasn't been where you think he should be, especially races like Davos, uh, short punchy sprints. And Linsa Haida too is a short sprint. I mean, like for men to be doing sprints in 240 is short. And Pellegrino, yeah, he got himself back in the final. And I thought he looked good in the quarter and in the semi. But in the final, I mean, he was completely outclassed and was a distant fifth, like far back. And that was a bit surprising. But I think, you know, I think um, training with these these Russians on, on Kramer's group, Ustyugov and some of the other big boys there that just, you know how hard those guys train. And that would have probably been quite the eye-opener for him. He doesn't, not used to having that kind of matching in his day-to-day training that he had this year and he's carrying fatigue or it looks that it looks to me that he's carrying fatigue anyway. So it'll be interesting to see as the Olympics approaches, but he's put it all in for the Olympics. And he said that he's been totally open. Like the Olympics is what matters. Uh, it's a skate sprint. He wants to, wants to make hay when the sun shines skate sprint at altitude. He feels like it's his chance to, to really do something. And he's, he's taking a gamble and we'll see if it pays off. It hasn't paid off yet though. Absolutely not. But something that they haven't changed their training all that much, They've just been consistent over the years from the men's side of things is Shanova and, uh, and Juve. And, and they've been so good. I mean, Renault J too, the whole, the whole French sprint team has had strong, had a, like they have a very strong history in, in men's sprinting and, and Juve is just skiing beautifully all season long. It seems like he's on the podium every weekend, but not just that he's putting himself in good positioning. He's aggressive. He's not scared of Clebo. Like he's trying to put himself in the mix. He's trying to, give himself a chance to succeed and he's putting together like a, a beautiful races week in week out and the fact of the matter is that the world championship silver medal is Volnes. he's fourth i thought he skied well i mean i thought he skied well in the final i thought he was positioned himself well his technique was good uh but he was just outclassed by the two frenchmen and and johannes like he's the best sprinter that ever lived uh and when he's in this kind of shape and he's skiing this beautifully and making all the right decisions, it's over before it starts. I mean, he is just so much better than any other man in sprinting right now. And he put on a clinic. I mean, he absolutely crushed everyone. And cool to see Paul Goldberg back in the final, and that's going to have a huge – we can talk about that a bit more later with his distance race yesterday. Um, but Paul was, you know, he's, uh, he's a beast from Norway, but he's been struggling, you know, like not struggling, but he's just put together a lot of mediocre races this season. And it's so hard to get an Olympic start and um, get himself into the final like that. An all arounder like Paul is uh, that that's going to count a lot. I think for the Olympic qualification, that that's, that's a huge story over here in Norway. And it's a huge story in the cross country ski world in general, not just here in Norway. Cause you know, if you go to the Olympics, for Norway, you're going the Olympics to medal. Yeah. I mean, so uh, uh, the pressure's on for a lot of those guys. Yeah. Um, how about the the two American, or I guess the three Americans in the quarters? Um, Ogden, Bolger, and Hanneman. Uh, but and Bolger and Ogden, I guess that's like the the one thing I'm kind of curious to hear is like translating a really solid quarter qualifier into performance in the heats like what are um like what's like helping someone who has not had a lot of sprinting experience and is the armchair quarterback right of like what are some of the skills that you have to be able to find or or navigate that are like you can go smash your quarterfinal final or sorry your qualifier and be fifth but then translating that into like being able to make a final um and kind of yeah yeah, and I mean, we can start with Ben. I mean, Ben has had just such a phenomenal season to date. He's yeah. skied into the semifinals already this year in the World Cup. He's young. I mean, God, he's so young. He goes to school. Like, it's crazy. He's 21 years old. But if you want to play with the big boys, that is making the sprint final, we can just start naming the guys that were in the sprint final. Ben, is there's a couple things he's lacking, obviously. He's fast. I mean, you're qualifying yeah. fifth. So when you're alone, you're, you're making the right decisions. You're obviously taking good lines through the corners. You're carrying your speed out of the corners, which is, this is such a big, big thing in qualification to do for the men, especially you have to be able to navigate, not just the corners like that, that sweeper of a left hand corner with speed at the bottom of the course, but anytime the course changes direction, you have to find the line to carry your speed out of those corners. And Ben is obviously doing that. If you're qualifying fifth, you're doing that. Yeah. The problem with Ben, the biggest problem by far is he's, his technique is not 
good enough. I mean, it's just, he's not a smooth enough skier. He, there's a lot of huge talent. There's a lot of energy going every which way. And he's getting away with it when he's skiing by himself out there in these qualifiers to have to put this together. But it's, it's a glaring, glaring hole in his arsenal. When you see him skiing with others, he he's wasting too much energy and you just can't do that when you're in a pack and he's going to have to try and get that together. Cause he, you know, it, it's, it's like a ball of energy. If you could just, you know, harness that and ski better technically, it's going to make his life so much easier when he's skiing in traffic. So that's one big thing. And two confidence, of course. And that's where you, I mean, he, he should have all the confidence in the world because he's raced, he's had such a fantastic season racing to the semifinals. So we should, and qualifying fifth, you know, you think you should have tons of some tons of confidence, but you have to remember, like, if you're Norwegian, if you're Swedish, if you're Russian, your, your path to these races is like fighting tooth and nail every weekend through every age category. Ben's path to the tour de ski and Ben's path to the Olympics or Ben's path to, to the, to the top echelon of the sport has been, you can't compare it. <laughs> you just can't compare it to, to what like Evan Nortuk has had to do to get into this kind of shape, these kind of opportunities for Norway. Uh, Petter Nortug's brother, he's 26 and he has like 14 world cup starts or something. Like he never gets chances yet. When he gets chances, he's always top 10. And Ben, you know, didn't have to fight as hard. He had a lot of distance. He was just better, better and fitter uh, in the junior ranks. And also in, you know, well, he's 21. So it's the junior ranks we're talking about. He just wasn't challenged enough in his heats and, and other races in the U S and, and if he was challenged by one or two guys, that's not enough to be able to learn how to ski in traffic and make smart decisions. And then the last thing that Ben and, and Kevin have to figure out like the men, the American men have to figure out. And I learned this from, I didn't learn, learn this necessarily, but it was discussed a lot like Torna Hetland, who is an Olympic champion in Salt Lake city in 2002. Um, he was a friend of mine for a long time. And then he ended up coaching us too in 2015 for one season. And he was so adamant about this. And this was something that I put into my career as well. I tried. And when it, when I did it, it would work. Uh, when I had the confidence to do it, you have to remember that in a sprint, if it's a quarterfinal semifinal or final with the men space is limited. If you find yourself in a bad position, you have one chance. You have to know the course. You have to have your tactics and you have to understand that, okay, I want to have a good start. I want to be sitting second or third or whatever. And then if something happens and next thing you know, you're fifth or you're sixth uh, and you weren't planning to be, you have to keep your head on your shoulders. And instead of trying to like trying here and trying there and like burning energy in these stupid places where like the, the course is about to turn left and you're going to try and pass on the right, like it's not going to happen. They're going to close the, you're going to go, it's not, they're not going to close the door. You're, you're skiing too long, too long a line. You're not going to get around anybody and you burnt a match. Now that match is gone. And instead of doing that, keep your head about you. Think hard about the course and be like, okay, I have one chance to get around and I'm going to give everything I can to do it. And that'll be my chance. And if it works, I'm going to make it to this semifinals. 100%. If it doesn't work well, hell I was sixth anyway. So I'm not going to be sixth at least. You know, you can pick up a few positions and get a better result. And uh, Ben Ogden needs to learn that because he's, you can see him, man. He's, he's not only is he skiing technically bad, in my opinion, he's also wasting too much energy when he gets caught in a bad position. And you, you got to have confidence to do that. And that'll come. He, he's, uh, he's a total beast in what a season he's had. Kevin too. Kevin skis really beautifully, actually, especially in skating. So, And he was very near miss for lucky loser. Yeah, both both those heats were pretty ended up being pretty fast heats for sure. But and 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 Kevin's doing the right things. I mean, he had a great qualifier, qualifying ninth, and he. I thought, you know, I know he was 16th. He was probably disappointed to not get out of the to get out of the quarterfinals. But but Kevin has had some some. Kevin's problem has been in the past, in my opinion, that he's too nice. He's just too <laughs> nice. Like, dude, space is so limited on the World Cup. You saw you mentioned Paul Goldberg putting his arm out a bit. Like, no, 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 like we're getting around this corner and this, this space is taken. Um, Kevin's a big boy. He's strong, he's fast. And, uh, he takes a lot of space, but in, in the past, he's had really great opportunities missed by just being too nice. Like letting a ton, like letting 30 centimeters of a gap, not a gap, but just like skiing comfortable, comfortably and thinking that like, okay, no one's going to come in on my space here, but they always do. And I think I thought, 
compete. And I, I think, I think it looks so good for the Olympics for these guys to perform like this at, at altitude. It's uh, it, it looks really good. I thought the Americans did well. And then of course, um, uh, Logan, he should just be happy that he got into the heats. Uh, he took his chance. He moved up early in the field, had a good start, um, was, was right up there. And you know what? He just, he was outclassed, no question. Uh, but 25th in the world cup, not bad, especially when you qualify 30th, everything's a bonus. So so um, really fun to see three Americans in the heats and, and moving through. Yeah. Um, on the women's side, uh, is, is what's the buzz on Matilda Mervold in uh, oh. Norway? That was a pretty <laughs> oh, impressive closing, uh, closing last 100 meters. Absolutely. I mean, and American ski fans won't like to hear what the buzz is, but of yeah. course, everyone's <laughs> saying like, if the course was 15 meters longer right. or but actually what has been in the, in the ski circles, everyone said, and it's sadly true. Um, Matilda has no experience internationally, essentially. And she waited a little too long and she had that kick and it was there. And if she had started that kick half a second earlier, she would have won the world cup. And instead she waited a little too long to start that, start that move. And it wasn't enough, but what an amazing result for her first podium uh, Ola Vegan Hadestad, the assistant coach from the Norwegian team, he's obviously Olympic champion in 2014. And before Klebo showed up, he was the best sprinter that ever lived. Uh, he's been working really, really closely with Tiril and and Matilda, like the whole Norwegian, the whole Norwegian women's team. But especially trying to build something with the sprinters, because there is no specific sprint team in in the Norwegian women's program. They all train together, and he's been trying to <clears throat> really make some changes and it hasn't really been a smooth path. I mean, they've had some good races here and there. Tyrrell was great in Lillehammer, for example, and uh, Matilda here, but Matilda's 23 coming out of the recruit team onto the bigger team. She doesn't train all that much, uh, especially compared to the likes of Heidi Wang or, or Terezio hug kind of thing. So uh, really exciting. I thought she skied super well. People are obviously over the moon. The funniest story I heard about it, and this was all over the media. So any Norwegian that's listening to this is like, this is old news, but I thought it was hilarious. Her sister lives in Oslo and apparently she cheered oh. so loud and was yelling so loud that someone called the cops in another apartment called the cops on her. Cause they were thinking that like there was some sort of assault going on or something yeah. and cops showed up on the door and knocked on the door and she's like, Oh my God, no, no. I, my sister just won her first world cup medal and we were cheering. So, so uh, it's pretty exciting here in Norway, but, um, but a great race by her. But like I said, Diggins, amazing qualifier, qualifying third skiing, absolutely beautifully making, making good on what her, what her strengths are, which is carrying speed and descending better than anyone else in the world on the women's side. <clears throat> she led all the way down the hill around the corner and, and was strong enough to hold off the competition to take a world cup victory. Just fantastic stuff. I mean, American ski fans are so lucky to have the likes of Jesse. She's, she's a great champion. And, you know, after Keegan, Keegan's my age. So, you know, for me, it was like hard to imagine that Keegan, anyone could replace Keegan or, or, be even at the level of Keegan and Jesse Diggins is better than Keegan ever was. And she can win it any which way. And from the, from the front, from a bit worse position, distance races, whatever, the whole tour to ski, the overall world cup, whatever. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was a great skiing by her and Lampich. I think uh, I'm really impressed. I mean, she's on the podium pretty much every week. She skis smooth. She's putting herself in good positions every time and back on the podium here. So I thought the whole sprint was awesome. And I know you're going to ask me a question. So ask me about Julia. Cause it was, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think just watching her just, I think, I think the semi, especially just like watching her ski through the semi was just really impressive. And like, it just seeming like she's really starting to make some breakthroughs that she's been kind of waiting oh. for. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an understatement of the year. I mean, it was like fourth on the day is one thing, but like you said, how she skied her semifinal with such poise, she, her technique, if you want to, if, if Ben Ogden needs to see someone <laughs> and as an example, Julia's technique a couple years ago, pretty raunchy, her technique now when she's feeling good at altitude like this skiing really, really well. And the power is going in the right places. She's got way better angles especially with her upper body, the way she's able to like just transfer the power from her upper body into, into the snow. She's doing a wonderful job. 
forth. The biggest takeaway here is that this is, you don't many chances at this middle altitude. You don't get many chances at middle altitude to test your, to test your metal. And with Beijing coming at 1800 meters, you need to take so much confidence. If I was the American squad right now, and I know how good Rosie is at altitude, that's a given. Like no one has to question that. And Diggins, you knew from before, she's so good at altitude all the time, but she won and the way she won was so beautiful. And to have Julia skiing this well and, and putting together a sprint like this, like, man, it, all things are turning up US. And, and that's nothing to say of uh, Swerble too, who is just yeah. so good at altitude as well. So the team is super deep and sure, Swerble had a tougher sprint than she's had previously, but you know, I am not worried. You have, you have so many girls that can perform at altitude and a lot of different ones are taking a lot of confidence uh, into the championship. It's going to be awesome. It's going to, it's, it's a great time to be an American ski yeah. fan. No question. Yeah. And I think just like, yeah, Julia, just watching her thinking about that, the idea of just like skating into that downhill too. She just looks so strong as she was, you know, a couple free skate pushes and just like, just looked really solid and strong going into that downhill. Oh yeah. She's um, the best she's ever been. No question. And, and what a time to be the best you've ever been. I think, of course, it's the Olympic year and that, that's huge. But but also, like, it can't be understated how hard it is to come back from a season that was so shitty. You know, yeah. like, Julia's season last year was full of challenges. And she's a young athlete. She doesn't have all that much experience. You know what I mean? She's She's 24 years old. And to bounce back after a tough season like she had last year, and put together some of the races she's done already this year. And more importantly, being able to translate all that hard work in training and in intervals into the race to be able to ski well, technically make smart decisions, tactically smart. Like you said, carrying your speed that you have to, when it's a gradual downhill like that and doing it like repeatedly, you can't ask for anything more. It's a sign of a champion. And it's great. She's so lucky to have Jesse Diggins as the mentor for that whole group but especially Julia, right? Like, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's huge. And that Jesse had that with, with Keegan. Right. So, so this is a, it's great. Succession is so important for, for ski teams, for any team, any sports team. And, uh, the fact that these American women have that is, is huge. And, and, uh, the future looks bright. It's fun. A quick interruption to say thank you to Marty and Kathy Hall, whose support through their A Hallmark of Excellence award has made our world cup coverage and this podcast possible this season. To learn more about supporting Faster Skier, email info at fasterskier.com. Um, should we move over to the classic race? Sure, we can move over okay. to the snowstorm. It's a tale of two, <laughs> tale of two, uh, two completely different days. Yeah, they, got, they definitely got the uh, the full Alpine storm there yeah. in Linz Heide for both for the 10K Classic and the and the 15K Classic. And again, like like the sprint skate sprint at altitude. Uh, 10k classic individual start at altitude, which is an Olympic event. There's just not a lot of opportunities to test yourself like this. So this was really important for the men and the women. And you see it in the results, man, people, people took advantage of that and threw down some, just let's just go right out of the gate. Like yeah. Yeah. What an event. I was insane. Yeah. That was so amazing. She's better than she, sorry. We talked about Julia having a tough season last year. If you're Kirtu Niskin and you've had like five tough seasons yeah. or four. Right. And, and she demolished the competition. Like, like 18 seconds is an eternity. And, and in second place is Eva Anderson, who has like however many World Cup podiums. Yeah, she seems like she's always on the World Cup podium. She's only 24. I, I, I just, I was, I was flabbergasted. It was an amazing, uh, amazing competition for Kirtu. I mean, she's, she's never... She's never been moving that fast it, ever. <laughs> She's a great classic skier, but I mean, this was, uh, this is going to take a lot of confidence from a, from a race like this. Yeah. What are your thoughts on um, start order and how that impacted things? Like, it seemed yeah. like the women, women were getting a lot more, it's it at least from what we could see, it seemed like the women were getting a lot more snow, heavier snow falling during the race. The men, it sort of lightened up a little bit for the men's race. Um, but I'm curious. Cause I think like with Eva Anderson, like you saw her catch, um, uh, Yulia Stupak. Right. And, yeah. um, and they, like, they came through the finish together, which is a little interesting because, you know, like, I, I, I wonder if like, you know, having the two of them working together or, or, um, Eva being able to kind of like ski in the tracks of 
Yulia a little bit, like, is that an advantage in those kind of conditions? And then like the other two podium members were higher bib numbers, like they're in yeah. the fifties. Like what are you, what are your, what were your thoughts on that in terms of just like with the snow falling and, and the effect of just start orders? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny because usually when you, you're, you're right to point that out, like when it's nuking snow like that, usually you think that a later starter number is going to have an advantage just straight up because, because more people, more traffic on the course and, and there's only one proper line, but it was just such a mess. It was yeah. such a mess yesterday that I think like, honestly, it didn't really matter where you started. It like, it was, it, you, if you had later start number, you had kind of worse tracks. If you had a little, if you started a little earlier, like Eb Anderson, yeah, maybe <clears throat> and you got a little lucky or whatever, <laughs> getting, you're not lucky, but you had good people to chase and ski with that can help. But the biggest takeaway I saw, and you can see it in the splits and you need to be good to make your skis work. So I'm not, I'm not saying Kirtu Niskanen won the race because of her skis, but the skis did not hurt Kirtu Niskanen's chances of winning the race. If you just look at the 8.7 split and I don't even know if they have that on the results or whatever, but like what, when you were watching it, it was there. I think she was like, she made up like seven or eight seconds from 8.7 to the finish line. And anyone that skied in Linsahida, it's a little like the sprint from 8.7, you go down a fairly like steep hill, and then you kind of like go across a small flat, maybe gradual uphill. And then you just like scream into the stadium and then into the finish. You should have no chance to make up any time there really, because it's, there's no working sections whatsoever. It's not that technically difficult either. It's not like there's like huge chicanes and downhills where people are snow plowing and stuff. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Here two skis were lights out incredible. And Ebba Anderson skis had to have been amazingly incredible as well. And when it's rub ski conditions and those that don't know what that is, when it snows a lot and it's close to zero degrees Celsius, it's impossible to find any sort of kick wax that works. So people don't. They take sandpaper and the, the whole, the whole game is what grit sandpaper works best. Um, so that's instead of picking wax, you're picking which grit of sandpaper, and then you rough up your grip zone. You race with no kick wax whatsoever. And then of course you put like, I mean, you put fluoro or spray or stuff into the kick zone as well. Some silicone, sometimes it, it, it depends. Um, and my experience with that is skis make a huge difference. Not like rub skis aren't just rub skis. You have to have people that know how to make your rub skis work for you, the athlete, your style. You have to be able to change your technique. You can't ski big. You can't ski long. You have to shuffle more. Um, you have to ski with a lot more finesse. And um, if you have skis that are running as fast as Kirtus were, uh, that that's just, you've got great technicians and I hope you bought them some beer. And uh, <laughs> and uh, you're lucky that you have a pair of skis that, that work so well. Ebba too. I mean, Ebba skis look great as well. Um, little question. I mean, I was questioning, uh, Frida didn't, Frida Carlson, you know, people are saying like, is she, has she fallen off her form a little bit? And she was in Lavigno, which is 1800 meters over Christmas training. Two, two things I can think of there is Frida has a habit of training too hard. And after Davos, did she go and start putting in way too many hours and she just carrying some fatigue into the tour? Um, that wouldn't surprise me for a 22 year old. Uh, with her history, but maybe that's not the case. I also thought that her skis, sorry to say, her rub skis weren't looking as good as Eb Anderson's anyway. They're both on Fisher, so I, that's the funny thing. Like, usually in a normal race, if it's minus five degrees Celsius, classic, Eb Anderson and, and Frida Carlson are going to have the exact same skis. Like, they're both right on the top of the list for Fisher. They get all the best skis coming out of the factory, it's all good. But when it's rub skis, one magic pair of rub skis can really make a difference, honestly. And there is a difference between Kier 2 skis and, and uh, Frida's, for example, even though Frida's right at the top of the heap with Fisher. Uh, it's not just as easy as, as getting a, a good pair of rub skis. It's, it's actually pretty hard to find uh, a magic pair of rub skis. Yeah. And then you need a technician that knows how to do it, too. So it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. But they looked to me that Frida's skis weren't looking all that great. Uh, from, from kick or from glide just or they either. just look like <laughs> both. both actually yeah. like I mean, she, but again like frida can be when things aren't going that well for frida too is like she can you know there's a lot of talk that she's a lot stronger this year than she's ever been especially in her core and that's helping her transfer her power better 
But man, I felt like Frida was really swaying side to side in that classic race, like a bit spaghetti classic skiing, like just like, like not that tight in her, in her core. And, and she, she has looked a bit better than that. I thought, well, not just a bit, she's looked a lot better than that this year in classic. And uh, I was just looking at the, the splits on the downhill too and stuff, but, and also following the race, uh, it looked like she was losing some time on some gradual descents that she shouldn't have been losing time on. That said, um, if you're care- if you're not skiing that well on the uphills, um, you're not pushing as much on the downhills as well, and you can lose time. So that can be a bit deceiving there. Whereas like Kirtu Niskanen was straight up making yeah. time, tucking away from the competition. Frida, it's a little harder, but I, I didn't think she was skiing as well as she she has been skiing. And um, I was talking with some other athletes here in Norway about it, and it's like, you know, everyone's like, yeah, but she's at altitude. You know how they you know how they do it. You, they, you get too excited and you train too it's sunny and you do too many hours and you go a little too fast at high altitude and, and you carry fatigue into the tour. And it's like, yeah, could be, but she's, you know, I don't know. I, I think, I think your skis just weren't quite as good as they have been. Yeah. Um, is Kirtu known for classic more than skate the same way as Evo? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Kirtu is much better in classic always has been much better in classic, but not to say she has top tens in skating as well. So she is, but it's been years. Like It's been yeah. years since Kirtu Niskanen has been at the sharp end of any race and uh, really fun to see her back. It meant so much to her too. Like she was so pumped at the finish line. I was just, it was super fun. And that like other fun stories too. Uh, Parmakowski's had a tough run in here to the season as well. Things haven't been working for her. It, it, she's been struggling and fourth, yeah. skiing super well um you know again finland obviously knows how to make good rub skis so that that's helping her but still i thought that was fun to see her back in the mix and and you mentioned stupak people are a little surprised so she was in seventh which is a great classic race for her skiing with eb anderson so yeah she got a little lucky but still you have to stay with that train you know right. it's not enough just to to get caught uh the thing with but uh stupak's out she's done with the tour she she's dropped out and and turning her sights to the Olympics. And again, these are the things that are going to happen in the Olympic season. She does a couple races at the altitude, like at a target altitude, and then, and then puts in a good training block. We're 35 days from the Olympics now. Like people are definitely have their eyes on that. And I mean, look at what's happening in the world too. Uh, it's a COVID disaster and Michaela Schifrin, people that follow Alpine yeah. she feels like she feels like she has a little cold and she's out and you know, there goes her chances for the overall world cup. They're gone. Um, so if you, if you, get COVID and you have a little cold, but you can't travel anywhere and, and you're out for two weeks or three weeks and you only have 35 days to the Olympics and you have a huge impact. Um, so people are definitely thinking about that. The other thing I wanted to say is um, Martin Lau, Martin Talo, Martin Talo. We need a Finnish person to correct me. Martin Talo, Martin Talo. But the Finns had three in the top 10. So they had great skis, even though it was rub skis and uh, awesome, awesome stuff. Tough day for the Americans, but uh, not surprising in those kind of conditions to me. Yeah. Um, did you have thoughts on Nebreyeva? Yeah, she was. She looked great. Yeah. Especially in double polling. Yeah. Like, I felt like she finally had that like snap back in her double polling, and she's looked just like like she's looked labored in the lighter terrain this season so far. And especially I was here working in Lillehammer, and like. It just, she just wasn't looking like herself. She just looked like, like she's usually so solid, especially on flatter train, skate and classic. And she's been missing that. And I, that's the thing that jumped out on me the most with the uh, Nepreva. I was like, whoa, okay. Her double pole and her kick double pole and just like how solid she was now. I'm like, okay, yeah, she, she means business. She looked great. It was, uh, she delivered, at a, maybe she's on the podium. You can't be on the podium and not deliver, but it was, uh, she also looked good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of Jesse and, uh, I thought, I thought Haley, all things considered put together a really solid, like she looked good. Like we, we got to see her for like 10 seconds total of the, <laughs> end of the race, but in those 10 seconds, she looked pretty good. And, uh, yeah. And then with Jesse, what I'm, I'm kind of curious about is like, uh, I like one, one thing that I was thinking about is just like, you know, going into the tour and yes, it's only six stages and it's maybe lighter than another tour, but like, a race like this early on where you're just like working hard, like it's just like a grind, right? Like, oh, yeah. and that course didn't seem like 
easy, right? It seemed like oh, no, it's hard. It's not no, no, Lin's yeah. is not. No, no, Lin's yeah. is not easy. And you're at altitude, and you're having to work harder because of the conditions. Um, you know, or at least you have to work longer. It's going to be a slower course than if it was really fast conditions. So, in thinking about just like that in the in the context of of the tour, where Jesse's planning to race the whole tour, like does having a day like that where you're just like grinding for significantly longer than some of the other people like is that something that's gonna accumulate or is that something that you you think you know you shake it off and onto the next yeah there's two prongs like i'll answer that first question first like for for jesse she's she's such a veteran now that it shouldn't have any effect she's 30 yeah she worked hard but you know what, there's a 10 K skate in Oberstdorf on an easy course. that's like coming here soon. And, uh, she's not going to, she's not going to be bummed out about this. Like, yeah, she lost some time, whatever. She's right in it though. For the overall, she's right, right in it. It was a tough day. I actually thought considering how she was looking, I thought she kind of limited her losses pretty well to only be a minute seven down. Um, you know, a few years ago, Jesse Diggins would have been like two and a half minutes down on a day like that. So she's, she's at a completely other level, which is great. And I don't think it's going to have much to say uh, for, for the whole tour. And in the energy side of things too, they have a rest day today. Jesse's so well-trained. She's, this is, this is not going to be a big deal, but the question like I was discussing this with my wife today, actually, uh, Kristen, and like, and maybe I'll get some hate mail for this, but, and I hope she, I get worried. I, I do get worried with Jesse in one thing, and that is the Olympics. I think she can win the the skate sprint. I think she can be an individual gold medalist in the skate sprint. And, and yet the last two championships, Jesse loves to race like God love her for it. It's awesome. That's what we train for. You train to race, but um, you know, 2019, some great world cup season walks away from the championship empty handed in Seifeld fourth place, like a wonderful, amazingly gutsy 30 K at the end there of the championship to, to really leave that, but still nothing ended with nothing. And then fast forward to last year, 2000, uh, sorry, in Oberstdorf 2021. Nope. Walks away with nothing, uh, at the championship and was given the golden opportunity in the relay to bring the U S home. Finally, uh, uh, relay medal. She was in position to do it too fatigued, like not good enough. And at the championship ran up, just didn't have the, didn't have the matches in the matchbox left to, to burn anything. And here we are again, who was in, who was in, uh, who did we see in, uh, Dresden flat city sprint? We saw Diggins in Dresden, you know, who aren't we seeing here? We're not seeing, <laughs> we're not seeing Sundling. We're not seeing Dahlquist on the women's side and the distance side of things. You know, we're not seeing Rosie. We're not seeing Teresa. There's only three spots on the podium in these distance races. And it, for, for Diggins, the pursuit is going to be a tough pursuit for her because these classic skiers like Teresa skis well in classic really well. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's a kind of a tough one. 30 K skate. That's a tough one too. I mean, look at the, look at um, Frieda Carlson's track record with the 30 Ks, the last two championships coming away with medals, each one. Uh, Teresa, of course, she's the odds on favorite to win gold in every event, you know, spots are limited. And I think she's got a great opportunity in the relay and this, and the skate race. And if, but she's racing everything and she's racing the only way she knows how, which is just gun to tape annihilate crushing it. It's fun for a fan. It's super fun for a fan, uh, puts her in a good, she's just, she has an overall world cup globe because of that last year. So, I mean, you can't fault that. I don't have that in my, my trophy case. I don't have a trophy case, but you know what I mean? Um, so it's not like she's not getting paid for the hard work she's putting in, but she's, but her competition is exploiting her, her race schedule. Yeah. And they have for the last three years. And I just get after watching how hard an effort like that was today. And I start thinking about this tour and I start thinking about like, she's in Dresden, she's everywhere. And I don't know. Olympics are at 1800 meters. I hope, I hope she, I hope I, I hope my worry is misguided and she just delivers and, and skis like she did in Linsahida and, and crushes Dahlquist and crushes Sundling and stuff. But man, I don't know. You got to be smart to win championship medals and especially championship gold medals. And I'm not saying Jesse's not smart, but I am saying that 
she has a tendency to just fire that gun often. Yeah. And at a certain point, there's no bullets left in the chamber. So you got to be careful. Yeah. And it's, I had the opportunity to talk to Herb to interview her. I guess it was, must have been last week, feels like a month ago. But um, yeah. And she kind of talked about that in terms of just like, uh, like she sees it as like a really important part of her peaking plan to like race through the tour. Um, but it is surprising, like when you think about other people's careers and how, like, as you become more of a veteran, it seems like people become more selective about what they race and what they don't race. And that you're almost like earning that privilege to be like, I'm not going to enter, you know, I'm not going to race all six events at the Olympics. I'm going to race these ones because these are my target events. Um, and who knows, maybe that is like the, maybe that is what's best to, for her for racing. Um, she seems to think so. And, but yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it seems like a risk. Yeah. Well, the sure. tour doesn't, the tour doesn't, but Dresden does. And, yeah. and also like, and also <clears throat> post post tour here, what she's going to do. And, and it's great that she says that this is part of my peaking plan. And this is what makes me ski at my top level. But in Seyfeld, she was not skiing at her top level of the championship. That's a fact in Oberstdorf. She was far from her top level. She like not even close. I mean, Jesse at her top level wins or is, or is on the podium, especially in skate races. You know, Jesse at her top level is first to third, you know, and nope, not in Oberstdorf. She wasn't not in Seyfeld. She wasn't. So that's two championships in a row that this peaking program isn't working to deliver hardware. She's having phenomenal seasons. Like, like, please don't misquote me. Like she has been raising amazing cross-country ski seasons, putting together like historic seasons year after year that she is. But at the championship. I, I don't know. I, uh, I'm just a little surprised that she didn't want to change it up a little bit before the Olympics, seeing how the last two championships have not worked for, but we'll see. Um, maybe shifting over to the men in just yeah. one year. Yeah. So I we mean, Evo, I, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. My clock is definitely going to run out fairly soon yeah. here. Um, but yeah, just in what year, you know, I, I, I think, no one is surprised to see Ivo Niskanen just like smash the 15 K classic. And especially in conditions like that, where like your technique, I mean, his technique just looked, I think like you, you, I just think the way that he was skiing, it was like, yeah, he's gonna, he's got this. And he was so far ahead at like every checkpoint. It was just like, you know, know, I feel like that's sort of like a, we haven't seen necessarily on the men's side, that level, like that kind of gap, like it's like what we're seeing on the women's side frequently with Teresa or, uh, with Frida car, like Frida and just, there's been more spread for the women, but, um, putting that kind of gap on the men's field is yeah. Not something we've seen as often. No, but you, you hit the nail on the head. Like he, he beat the, he beat the field into oblivion, but no one skis better in classic in conditions like that that you see that kind of shuffle like that finesse he's not just like muscling through it like if anyone is really curious they should watch uh Volness Eric Volness amazing 15k classic skier uh you know like total beast he finished eighth so he had a he had a solid day at the office watch how Volness is skiing and watch how watch how Niskan is skiing Volness is like trying to glide he didn't look like he had the best skis either he didn't look like he had the best kick no question he had he did not have good enough kick but regardless he's still trying to muscle it he's trying to like ski long in the gradual terrain and and it's just like not working for him whereas evo high hips high body position shuffling more higher turnover but like deliberate with his movements and just skied away from the field his skis were phenomenally good just like his sisters, like they were, yeah. Finland, Finland nailed it. Like they, uh, but you, you know, it's not like he had way better skis than Bolshinov or Paul Goldberg. They probably had the exact same, you know, they, cause those guys look great too. I think Paul had a high hip position is he has his first time back on the podium in a 15 K classic since winning here in Lillehammer in 2013. Wow. So this meant a lot to him. This meant a ton to him to be, to be back in that sort of level. And the pressure is just so hard for him to get onto that Olympic team. And that he's, he, uh, he definitely put a good, um, put his best foot forward there. So that was a great race by him. Bolshinov, like we talked about, um, really fun for him to see him back, like fighting for the win and, and looking good doing it and in challenging conditions and in a really challenging year where he's been knocked out with injuries and teeth operations and all this kind of, uh, adversity. So he's right back at the sharp end of the, of the sport. Another result I was really shocked with, it was kind of fun 
is DeFabiani. Yeah. You know, DeFabiani ends up sixth. Yeah. Was it like I mean, he's he's a, he's a mile behind the win? Like it's not even in the podium. He's yeah, almost a minute. Seconds off the podium. It's, it's not even. It's not a thing. Yeah. So, but um, but uh, skied well, skied really, really well, and sixth for him is a huge step up. So that have uh, the Italians something to cheer for because the Fabiani when he's in shape, especially in a 15k classic, he's a force. But he's a bit like Kirtuniskin and like where's he been the last I don't know four seasons? Like he's been he's disappeared. So that was um. That was incredible. And then the, the story I was following in the, in the men's race was he, of course, Niskanen, that was fun to see. And he just threw down, but, but this Norwegian, this Norwegian story is something I'm following so closely because they can only bring eight men to the Olympics and all those eight men should come away with a medal or if they're not, then it's something's weird. Um, and the spots are so limited and Paul delivered Didrik Tonseth, who this was like, this should have been like the day for Didrik. It, it's, Tons of snow. He's a bit, he can ski so well in classic and tough conditions as well. He's really light. He's really good at altitude. And, you know, 10th isn't a bad race by any stretch of the imagination. But when you're trying to make the 15K classic team for the Olympics for Norway, it's a, it's a disaster. And he, his Olympic, his Olympic birth has probably gone up in smoke now. And that's, that's hard. That's tough to see because he's outside of the national team. He's really struggled. He's been skiing so well this year and uh, just didn't, didn't have it on the day and, and, and he's done. And then if you go all the way back in the field, uh, Emma Leverson is having just like, it's a crisis. It's a total crisis with Emma. I don't know what's going on. I feel really bad for him. Um, I, I just, my heart breaks. I, I don't I, I know how that feels. That's been me too. I mean, I like, you're doing everything right. Your testing's looking good. It's like things are good. And then you're racing in the fifties and it's like, what? He won the world championship 50. Well, I was third, but either way <laughs> he has an Olympic, he has a world championship gold medal um, from, from last year in the 50 K they picked him for the Olympics already, like with no results, like zero results. And he's not like he has a big history of, you know, Thomas Allsgaard has been picked for Olympics before at not race like before 2003, Thomas Allsgaard had not raced into the points before winning the 30K Classic in Val de Fiamme in 2003. So, but Thomas Allsgaard also had like 15 medals prior to that or more in, in at the uh, championships. Like Emily Everson has one individual medal and man, he's taking a lot of criticism, you know, over here. Like people are questioning, like, should he be going to the Olympics and that kind of stuff? So he's in a tough place. I, I really feel for him. But some great races by the sprinters too. Like, did you, like, I, I just can't believe Juve was 15 in yeah. a classic race. Incredible. Yeah. And same with Pellegrino 13th. Like these are great races in the classic, but again, skis make such a huge difference. Like yeah. this was a skis race. If you didn't have good skis, you have no chance. And I don't know what you think or what the guys were saying, but like the Americans really struggled like hugely, but, yeah. um, this is, this is something that Americans aren't used to skiing and Gus Schumacher doesn't ski in high level races at high altitude in Harry's or like in rub ski conditions. And how are his rub skis? Who knows? Like maybe he's only skied on them three times. Like who knows? Right. Ben to Ben Ogden. Like how many times does he ski at a high level on rub skis? Probably never. So, so tough, tough day for the Americans, but uh, they'll bounce back. Yeah. And I guess if you look at, he's like, or Gus was like nine seconds out of the top 30 is not and he's only he's like a minute off the top 10 but yeah you know it's but so that, it's like i mean you can kind of like it's it's maybe i mean it, it's amazing to look at the spread of the top 10 like it's a minute yeah. and 15 back from the yeah from the top to the 10th uh but yeah it's kind of i think it's hard i mean we like the live stream that we get to see like we don't you know we don't know what happens uh yeah we don't really get to see any of the American guys skiing that well. It sounds like they had a tough, it was just a tough day. And yeah, yeah. but yeah, exactly. And speaking of the feed, like, Oh my God, I know all we do on this podcast is shit down Fist's throat, but like, Holy hell, whoever was the director for that race, he's got to, that was the worst. Like, well, I mean, I've seen some bad individual start races produced over, over the last 25 years, but, but, that's in the running for the absolute worst produced 15 K classic I have ever seen on TV. 
Like they were not following the race whatsoever. You had no idea what's going on. They're yeah. showing like Dario Colonia, like getting the shit kicked out of them. Then they're showing like people in the finish area, like changing. It's like, what the hell are you doing? People are that are on the podium. They're not, they're, we're not getting any splits. Like, well, you're getting yeah. live splits, but you're not right. watching the key moments of the race happen. It was a pile of hot garbage. And it's, if you want to know why no one watches cross country skiing, it's because of races like that. That was a yeah. that, that sucked. And they got to do something about that. It, it's yeah. a, the product is shitty. So is, it, it's a do you, disaster. Do you see that as like a factor of the, you know, cause the course, um, it's like looking at the, at least the overview of the course, like, and then I think the number of places where they were actually recording, like, is it a factor of like the number of cameras they have, like, and where they can actually or like, cause I know it's the same thing with like the, um, just like Nordic focus and like the, the, like they had two places where they were taking pictures. So the pictures you get are like all exactly the same. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, here's another one of like, everybody's skiing through the snow, but, uh, yeah. Like in terms of the broadcast, like, is that partly a factor of just, it, it's just like different courses are harder to film or is it, it's just the production. Yeah. I think, I think for sure you make a really good point with the, with the camera positions, like no question that that has, that has something to do with it. Like if you don't know jack shit about cross country skiing and then you're putting the camera positions out there, that's going to be a problem. And that, that's a, that's a problem in Switzerland with distance races always has been Davos is the worst distance race to watch on TV ever. Um, and that a lot to do with like poor, poor placements of, uh, camera cameras, like stationary cameras in, bad places yeah um instead of cables and running things through whereas both linsa haida and davos have great cables through the stadium so the sprints look great and all the images there look awesome um <clears throat> but in linsa haida what happened there the director like the person that's saying like camera one camera four like following this we're following this athlete we're following that athlete didn't know his ass from his face when it came to cross country <laughs> No, he didn't. It showed that he had no, I is maybe as a guy that produces soccer games or something and doesn't know anyone's name. Doesn't know that like Evo Niskanen is kicking ass and we have to start following Evo or Bolshinov is like, has won the overall world cup a number of times. He's won the tour the last two years. We, we, we don't need to see like whatever Cyril Fenderich out there. Like we don't need to see him. We need to see Bolshinov right now because he's in a tough camp like race to be on the podium for the first time this year and he's skiing beautifully and like and you know paul goldberg too like the director the person in the truck that's calling who the cameras and the splits we need to be following through the race <laughs> fell asleep at the wheel or has no idea what high level cross-country skiing is and i think i think it's probably more the latter because you know they're professional they're they know what they're doing as far as like producing a sporting event but if you do not know cross-country skiing for shit it's going to be really hard for you to follow a, a snowy, messy individual start race with, like you said, maybe some camera positions that are a little boring, let's say. Yeah. But I, I've never seen, I've never seen a worse 50 <laughs> classic in my life ever for, for like, I, I was like, I was almost getting sick to my stomach. I'm like, what are we doing? He's like, the cameras are jumping around and it's like, yeah, like showing a start pen, like some hacker ass nothing no offense to that guy but like just some some guy that's like 80th or whatever in the world we're, we're watching this guy in the start pen while there's like a race for the medals going on out there like what are we doing so i was this that was a that was a nightmare shame on you horrible yeah um any final thoughts on uh just lenzerheide or or what's to come or Words, yeah, to the think, words to the Canadians at home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's tough to see no Canadians at home, but at the end, at the other side of the coin, um, we had an amazing Ruka. Canada had just such a fantastic Ruka. And then it was one and done for us. And we really struggled in period one. Um, and you know what? I think it's a smart call for, for Canada that what they're doing as hard as it is not to be at the tour. And I'm, I, the tour is my favorite event. So uh, I always loved the tour to ski Alex. Like I have such good memories, Babsy, like that, that's just such a big part of my career as a tour to ski. I loved it. Uh, so it's hard not to see Canadians on the start line, but they have, uh, Olympic trials coming up, uh, in about like, well, over a week from now, but, um, that's really important for all these people with people not delivering on the world cup. So there's a lot of spots up for grabs. 
uh, and then they're taking place in Canmore. And then also it's going to be quite an advantage for Canada to just travel West uh, from altitude and just travel West to China instead of going back to Europe and then just sucks no matter how you do it on a plane. So uh, you know, they have to prioritize well with the athletes they have and people haven't been delivering and people have been skiing bad. So, you know, it's better to prepare and put all your eggs in one basket and try and try and put together a solid Olympics. But yeah, it's hard not to see Canadians there, but I am excited for the tour to continue. Like you said, right at the top of this thing, really fun to see great athletes and big, big names at the tour this year. Good competitions. Oberstorf's kind of, you know, the classic, the story, like the spring course. I love it. It's uh, we saw it last year on full display for the championship, which is awesome. The 15k skate mass start and the, the, um, the 10k skate. I mean, it's just a joke of a course. It's so easy. It's flat. You have like one hill, but I mean, the downhills have so much speed that everyone comes back together. So I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Emma Leverson is on the podium on a race like that, even though he's obviously not in good shape. Cause it, it's just, uh, you can't, you can't distance yourself at all. But uh, always fun to watch Oberstorf. I have fond memories racing there, and uh, it's always makes for good TV. They produce. Germany does a better job producing, so people sitting at home, even though a sprint in a mass start is easier to follow along. But still, it'll be. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to like not wanting to like throw up uh, <laughs> watching skiing for the next couple of days. Awesome. Well, we can uh, wrap it up. Yeah, we'll wrap it up. Get well. Feel better. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate you're such a you champ. Very- you're, you're such a champ for like doing this, talking for an hour. I'm impressed. Go drink some tea. <laughs> thanks. All right. Have a good one and hope yeah, uh, your post Christmas is fun. Yeah, it's all good. We're surviving, trying to take care. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to the Alberta World Cup and Masters World Cup 2022 and Marty and Kathy Hall for their support of this podcast. We'll be back in a few days with coverage following the next two stages of the Tour de Ski in Oberstdorf.